This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, and welcome to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Joined across the table, that is the one, the only Jack Foster. Man, we are here in the WUTK studios. Shout out to Jack and shout out to Benny Smith. Benny Smith and his wonderful staff here on campus. We wanted to find a good spot, and this certainly works for it, because today is a big episode. If you go back to last week, you might remember, gentlemen... We've reached a great milestone. Congratulations to you both. Congratulations to us all around. It's episode number 100 of the RTI Press Pass podcast. Kudos to anyone who remembered because I've been on the podcast for, I don't know, for at least probably 90 plus of these episodes and I didn't remember this, including last week, and I didn't remember this was number 100 until until you brought it up. But yeah, the, the big 100 and uh, what a good time to have it as we uh, rain in a new football season uh, on Saturday as Tennessee opens things up against Virginia. And Rick, got to give yourself some credit. Big kudos to you, our wonderful host. Been a big part of this podcast and growing this platform. Oh, yes. thank you very much. I mean, we've had a lot of fun with it, and certainly eh, we, we'd probably only be in the 60s by now if you guys, <laughs> if it wasn't for y'all's baseball coverage as well. So, obviously, just podcasting, another one of the things that we want to do here at Rocky Top Insider to give the people all the information that they can handle. So, hey, thank you for joining us for 100 episodes. We look forward to having you join us for the next 100, and then we'll see what happens after that. But we got a lot to talk about today as it is, what, Wednesday right now? Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. August 29th. Four days. Just about four days away from the start of the Tennessee football season. How are you guys, How are you guys feeling about this? Train is about to leave the station. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's the waiting game now. I mean, it's... It- there's more to talk about than there was last week in the sense that we have a depth chart and you can talk about Virginia, uh, but still, it's kind of the, a lot of the same stuff where we've been talking about the same storylines, recycled, yeah. reused uh, over the last eight months, and, and now it's just like, all right, let's go see what it looks like on the field and let's have a little bit of ball to talk about. I thought that you had a really good tweet just a couple of days ago, or maybe it was even yesterday, and it was actually going back to a Joe Milton press conference from the other day. Maybe there was a little bit of irritation with one yeah. of the questions being asked, but ultimately, yeah, was, you don't really look at that as as people jarring at each other. It, it's kind of, hey, people are just ready to get to the season, right? Talking season has been going on for so long now. I mean, even going back to, to mid-July with SEC Media Days, you can tell that the players are ready to get the season started. Amari Thomas talked about it today. You can tell that the coaching staff is ready to get this thing started. And then certainly us on the other side of things as well, we are ready to get this season started as well. So I, I think that, yeah, you can look and, and people are done with talking season, want to see what happens on the field come this Saturday. Certainly, certainly. And uh, it's a, a lot to uh, to see from Tennessee. Uh, I think a lot, you know, Virginia's not a great team, but I think uh, it will still give us some takeaways to glean. It's not an Austin P, and uh, it's certainly right. it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what this team looks like in game one. Yeah, the last two years we've had, what, Bowling Green and Ball State as the openers, and you think, hey, non-conference Power 5 opponent going to be better. Eh, they're probably more on their level than they are Tennessee's in Virginia. Yeah. So it's going to be a blowout in week one, but, hey, the first two weeks, you know, you're going to see a lot of rotation from the defense, going to see which guys can stick out and make an impact. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing most. Yeah, I mean, you go back to just last season – Virginia ends their 2022 season at 3-7 and seven with uh, that kind of record. 
a little bit of a shortened season because of the tragic shooting that happened right. on their campus. So I think some of their last few games, uh, excuse me, the last two games got got uh, dismissed along the way, and they did not end up playing those. But they're back. Tony Elliott back for another year as his second season. Excuse me, it's going to be his third season as head coach. Uh, at the University of Virginia. No, That's I think just to, second season. Oh, just second season? Okay, I, I have my numbers here and wasn't sure if that was referring to last yeah, year both, or this year. Both Virginia schools, I think, were first-year head coaches last yeah. year. From okay, pride. Pride. Terrible. Yeah. There you yeah. go. So, Tony Elliott going into his second year as the head coach of uh, Virginia. Ryan, Jack mentioned a good point just a second ago. There's going to be a lot of rotation on Tennessee's side of things. What, what do you kind of make of just that aspect and what we might see on Saturday with the rotational aspect? Yeah, I think you will see a lot of rotation, and uh, I think particularly – uh, on the defensive side of the ball, just because there's more, you naturally play more guys on defense and there's more questions there. But at the same time, I'll be really curious to see what the offensive line rotation looks like. And uh, Tennessee released its step chart. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, with the oars and the co starters, Tennessee listed nine starters on its offensive line. <laughs> uh, really, I guess eight, because I think maybe someone was mentioned at multiple spots. No, not actually. It was nine separate players. Yeah, so, you're, you're exactly right there. That's wild. Yeah. So. I feel confident that we're going to see John Campbell be the starter at left tackle. We're going to see Jeremiah Crawford be the starter at right tackle. Both those guys were co-starters. But how much rotation will there be at those two spots? And then if Cooper Mays can't go, uh, what does that make everything look like? And I think that really uh, could make the left guard spot particularly interesting is uh, Ollie Lane slides over to center, and then you kind of have uh, a lot of guards who have not played a lot of football uh, battling it out to, to earn playing time. Ryan, were you surprised Mincy wasn't listed as both the left and right tackle backup? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I think he, I think he is the right tackle backup. Yeah, he's not listed as it, but I think he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess I'm not like shocked that they did it the way they did it because they're giving some kudos to Dane Davis, who is in the mix of right tackle and is a, a, a veteran guy. Uh, but in actuality, yeah, I kind of think Gerald Mincy is the third offensive tackle and would play uh, on either side if someone went down. Man, I'm really interested to see what this offensive line is going to look like. And I absolutely agree with you. I do think there are going to be a lot of rotational spots that are going to be happening. I think you'll see that throughout the first few weeks where we don't know exactly what's going to be Cooper Mays' status. Last thing we heard about it was Josh Heupel said on Monday, hey, taking a little bit of a wait-and-see approach, which... Gave immediate flashbacks to basically we'll know every, more later in the week. every injury answer he's ever had on a Monday morning. I don't know if he's ever um, gone ahead and, and given no. a a strict statement about a guy's health on a Monday. So gave a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. I'm sure that answer will get asked on Thursday again or maybe even tomorrow during an SEC teleconference uh, call. But, yeah, I do expect a lot of rotation there, and I'm really interested to see what this thing is going to look like to me. That was obviously kind of maybe the biggest question mark coming out of training camp. Mm. That was the position maybe I, I felt the the least good about coming out of training camp. Want to see what they actually look like on the field because we know that around them, hey, there's a really strong running back room. you got a veteran quarterback who's got a lot of experience. There's going to be a lot of pressure on that offensive line to be able to compete. Not Maybe not here in these first couple of games, but hey, you have Florida coming up just on the 16th of September. Things got to be rolling by then. The offensive line is one of those positions that needs to. And my intrigue has been mainly on the tackle spots as far as what I'm looking for in these first two weeks with Crawford and, of course, Campbell being the newcomer starting at left. But if Cooper Mays doesn't play against Virginia, my intrigue definitely shifts to the interior. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think the intrigue about who, how 
they perform is bigger on the offensive tackle spot. I think the intrigue about who plays and yes. what the rotation looks like, yes, even with Cooper Mays, is almost more intriguing on the interior. Uh, again, we could see some rotation at offensive tackle, but it just feels like the leaders uh, and the starters are already kind of penciled in. So that's going to be interesting in Ollie Lane. I mean, it's just if Cooper Mays doesn't go, it's just a lot on his plate because this is a guy that He's played football, he's played meaningful football for Tennessee, but hasn't been a full-time starter. Uh, and you jump into that role, one, is going to be an adjustment, and then two, you talk about playing center, a spot that he has not played any at uh, Tennessee, at least not in any meaningful role. Uh, I don't think really ever in games. Uh, and that is, of itself, playing center is a challenge and a different task, and it's made even greater by the fact that Tennessee's offense at that spot is so important to having the pace and the tempo uh, at the spot that Josh Heupel likes it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, so... Really, I mean, let's let's stick with this depth chart a little bit. I, I think that's fascinating to look at right now. We did post these pictures on all different sorts of Rocky Top Insider social media, so if you want to go find them, you can go and find them on any of those kind of things. Guys, there are enough ores to make an underground mine here on this yeah. depth chart. Enough to get across the Tennessee River. <laughs> there, there, there you, you go. go. Besides offensive line, maybe what are some of the other, uh, what are some of the other takeaways that you might have had about it? Well, I think one thing that just stands out as a whole, and I tweeted about it yesterday, is just the number of transfers. Like Tennessee, Josh Heupel, it's a lot easier, I guess, to rebuild your program quickly now because of the transfer portal. LSU, really, really active both seasons. Auburn, obviously very, very active this year. Colorado's a whole different story, bringing in what whatever ended up being like 50 guys. And Tennessee has taken guys in the portal, but they really haven't been overly active. Tennessee has, Josh Heupel's turned Tennessee's program around largely with Jeremy Pruitt players. Sure. And I think it's you know easy to just say, yeah, Tennessee hasn't been that active. Well, you look at the transfer, or you look at the depth chart, and it is riddled with transfers. And Tennessee didn't bring in a ton of guys last year. They have seven guys that are listed as starters. Now six of them are co-starters. Uh, I think some of those guys will be starters, like John Campbell. Some of them probably won't be. Uh, but... Still, guys that are going to play a lot. And then, so that really stands out. And then, even if you expand it to just transfers in general, uh, even more so, you have more guys Joe Milton, uh, Brew McCoy. So there's uh, been Wesley Walker, who yeah. didn't play a That's massive right. role last year in his first year at Tennessee, uh, had a bigger role as the year went on, and now it's going to be a starting safety. So uh, I think it's easy to not think about Tennessee as a team that's been really reliant in the portal because the numbers aren't super high, uh, but their hit rate has been really good, uh, at least with guys that can help them, uh, if not be you know complete stars. They've hit a couple stars, too, yeah. uh, when you talk about Hendon Hooker, and really I think you could probably say Brew McCoy is in that category as well. Yeah, you know that Tennessee likes to use the portal not necessarily as a revolving door into the program. They want to build this program through the high school developmental ranks. I, I, that's been something that Josh Heupel has said on, on several different occasions. But what they use the transfer portal for is to bring in spots where they need it the most, right? Where they need some kind of veteran, experienced player. Maybe even like the linebacker position with Keenan Peely. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of rotation there. That's something else that we heard on Tuesday uh, with linebackers coach Brian Jean-Marie. He talked about how, hey, we want these guys to be going 100 miles per hour at all times. They want to, We want to give them a little bit of freedom to be able to play as hard as they can and then step off the field, maybe get a little bit of rotation there. So I'm interested to see what that looks like, but I'll give you another takeaway here just on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of veteran players listed mm -hmm. in these starting positions. Yeah. You look at just the entire defense, and I think the the lowest kind of um, 
school class that you find is the redshirt junior, and that's with guys who are oars. That's a that's a Dominic Bailey redshirt junior. That's a Bryson Eason redshirt junior. So who knows if they even start? But you might be looking at, at really kind of a senior slash redshirt senior led group from Tennessee. And obviously, we're going to see some rotation. We don't know what, what's going to happen by the end of the year if other players step up. Maybe even a freshman like Arian Carter could step up into the starting role. But at least what we see right here from the depth chart, the guys that Tennessee wants to go into the season with, kind of first and foremost. And this is a gigantic senior-led group. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a couple times on here before. There's a ton of experience on the defensive side, and certainly in the back end, it's like, is that a good thing that these experienced guys are coming back and starting again? I mean, you look at all the corners, they're all, you know, seniors. So, But those guys haven't, at least the ones that have been on Tennessee, haven't performed as to the level that you want. So that's a little bit of a worry to me, too, is that oh, there's so much experience in all these older guys. I don't know how good it is, especially when I look at the secondary. But, I mean, when you talk about, of course, Keenan Pilly and Aaron Beasley and those guys up front, that's a good thing. Well, and I think to your point about the the – just the the veteranship in the uh, in the secondary, we along with a lot of other people are kind of talking ourselves in circles right this offseason, saying things that because I remember, even remember last week on the podcast we were saying, you know, hey for Tennessee to be best, we really felt like some of those defensive backs needed to Separate, step up yeah. and create separation because maybe that's something that hasn't happened a ton in the past, just with the guys who are on the roster right now. So I think you're right. I think there's a lot of interesting ways to look at it, and ultimately, you know, it, that's something we've certainly talked about before. Yeah, in my estimation, I, I'm pretty pessimistic about the secondary, and uh, I just don't think it's going to be a whole lot better. I mean, I look at Danico Slaughter as a guy that I see real reason to think he can or could have taken a step in the offseason and be better just from the fact that he's moved around and played at a bunch of different positions, and, and now he's been locked in a corner. We saw him have some success later in last season. Um, but as a whole, I mean, I wrote about it. As one of my biggest storylines to watch in, in camp, and I said, you want to see separation in the secondary, and there has been very little of that, and there hasn't been a ton of the newcomers, uh, besides Gabe Judy Lolly, there haven't been a lot of newcomers really coming along and pushing to be in the two deep either. So mm. I think Judy Lolly is the only one in the two, de- two deep as a newcomer in the defensive backfield. So maybe it'll surprise me. Uh, maybe they all this depth in this competition that they maybe didn't have last fall camp because of injuries will have made this group a lot better, but I'm, I'm kind of in, I got to see it to believe it uh, camp. Yeah. A, a really interesting question. I think that that's being posted right here at the table is, Hey, there is a lot of veteran leadership here. There's a lot of guys to have played a lot of football, but is that necessarily a great thing heading into the season? We'll, we'll see how that kind of shakes and unfolds here as the first few weeks go on. What are some other takeaways that you might've had from the depth chart that we got on Monday? Well, I'll, I'll look at the specialists just because I, I guess it's what we talked about last week on the pod. I can't remember if we did or not. We don't get to watch any special teams work yeah. at practice. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that would be a nice little bone for Josh Heifel to throw us. Like, is anybody really, is it really going to matter if we watch somebody, we, we watch the definitive starting kicker kick and the definitive starting punter punt? Uh, so, you know, a lot of those things we didn't have questions about. It's newcomers at kicker, it's newcomers at punter. We knew who the starters were going to be. I thought. Kickoff specialist being Josh Turbeville was interesting. Um, obviously, he's not going to be a starting kicker or war punter. We've kind of seen that uh, the last two years that Tennessee has used a third kicker. Uh, Toby Wilson, I know, two years ago was the kickoff specialist uh, as the backup kicker. They've kind of changed guys around. but So that was interesting. Uh, Jackson Ross is the holder. Not that it was kind of shocking. He kind of alluded to it when he talked to the media yeah. a few weeks ago. But again, another new uh, role for somebody. You didn't know who that was going to be. 
And then uh, kick returner, I thought seeing Cam Seldon and D. Williams uh, was interesting because a lot of times, you know, kick returner, you just think kick returner, punt returner, it's going to be the same guy. Well, that skill set's really a lot different, being a yeah. good kick returner and a good punt returner. It's not really a one-to-one comparison. So we know D. Williams is a really good punt returner. We haven't seen him at kick returner. What does he look there? Uh, look like there if he's starting? And Cam Seldon seems like a perfect fit for that role. Uh, again, the vision you won't really know about. That's probably the most important thing, decision-making and vision for a kick returner. Uh, so we don't know exactly about that, but from someone who is good with the ball in his hands, a young guy that's not super, super integral to your offense, uh, and a physical runner, I think it's just going to be, it could be really interesting, and he could be a guy that kind of buds there and takes that role and runs with it. Yeah, it's a good point. It really does feel like kick returners are more so like specialists on offense, such as running backs or receivers, yeah. and then punt returners are just raw athletes. Yeah. Know, D. Dude Williams, can, he, he talked about it during one of his, I guess, availabilities with the media, and he basically said that, you know, hey, it, it's completely different, right? Kickoff, yeah. you, you you do have, what, 10, 11 guys running full speed as fast as they can down the field at you, whereas punt return maybe can use a little bit more finesse just because yeah. you only have a few kind of gunners that are going to be there yeah. first. Quick twitch is yeah, always the word twitch. I look for for punt returners. There you go. I, I think that's a great way to put it, too. So there you go. Some, uh, some good stuff coming out of there. And then Cam Selden, another guy that you just mentioned, that was a guy that who um, Jerry Mack mentioned today when we were talking yeah. to him with the media, a guy who he said, you know, yeah, this guy's got some really his, – his catching ability, he's got an innate catching ability just because of his time playing at the wide receiver position during his high school uh, – I guess just the the high school ranks and the high school runs. So interested interested to see what kind of uh, what maybe that guy can do. Yeah, and that's kind of maybe my last takeaway from looking at the depth chart is Tennessee released a depth chart, but it's not. There's no consistency to it. So at some positions they give you two players, some positions they give you three, and a couple they give you four. And specifically looking at it now, am I missing anywhere? Three positions they give you four players: Leo, quarterback, which is an, an a huge surprise, and then running back. Running back was one I was a little surprised they gave us four. I figured it would be three. You know Tennessee's top three backs. You know who that is. It's a good way of, again, kind of like this whole depth chart is, giving the media information that they already know. The fact that they put Cam Seldon in as the fourth guy and they submitted, yeah, he's ahead of the other freshmen, not that it's shocking. That I think all of us, would that would have been our prediction that he would have been the fourth running back, but I think it does show you the level of confidence they have in Selden that he is definitively that guy. He's a guy that can help them. And, you know, your fourth string, you don't, you know, he, we might not see him have a massive role against Virginia or Florida, you know, the first real meaningful game when Tennessee's backups aren't necessarily just going to be getting a ton of reps. But that's a position where guys get injured and, and you often use three guys in one game. So Cam Selden is a guy I wouldn't be surprised if we see him getting meaningful reps, uh, meaningful carries in, in October and November. You mentioned him as a freshman who who maybe could end up playing. We've already mentioned Arian Carter. Is there anybody else who you guys have thought of kind of just kind of over this training camp? Maybe a mm-hmm. freshman who could end up competing for playing time, could end up seeing some good playing time out on the field. And I'm not necessarily talking a special teams role, right? We know that, hey, that's yeah. a way that Tennessee likes to get these guys mm-hmm. a little bit more acclimated to just the speed and the sound of the game before they take a few meaningful steps on the uh, snaps on the field. Are there any other freshmen that you think could play that position, could play that role here for Tennessee coming up this year besides just Carter, besides Selden, like we mentioned a second ago? I know for me, one guy that was actually talked about today during the press conferences from Jacob Warren was tied in Ethan Davis. I, I think mm. that he just has a really special skill set. You know, they talked about today, hey, this is going to be a big year for him, not only for just to be able to get on the field a little bit, but to also be able to grow on the field a little bit. Just a guy right. who brings a a really unique, again, skill set and talent level to the table for Tennessee. Maybe not the 
Maybe not. Uh, maybe won't be as good of a blocking tight end, right, as some of the other guys at Tennessee has, McCallan Castles and, and uh, Jacob Warren. But, man, this guy has absolutely great hands as a receiver, at least what we've seen, what we've heard. So I think that that guy could be uh, one of the freshmen who could make a play to be on the field. Now, I love Ethan Davis just as much as the next guy. I think he's going to take the tight end position in the Josh Heupel offense to another level during his time at Tennessee. But, you know, when looking at the depth chart, Ethan Davis doesn't crack the depth chart. And now there's a couple of true freshmen that do, though, on defensive side of things, and that's Caleb Herring, that's David Hobbs, and that's... Um, uh, T-Lander. T-Lander, yes, that linebacker. So there's three there. Maybe they see some time. I think Caleb Herring's a intriguing option. I think there's a lot of good players at the Leo position. Pearson Joseph's entering their sophomore years, but maybe we see Herring sometimes, too, and he's a dude. Sure, no doubt. Yeah, I, Ethan Davis not in being included on there was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought, I thought he would be, and then yeah, it's just a lot of depth pieces on defense. That yeah, there's a lot of people listed on the defensive line. Yeah, and there depending is. on and depending on the rotation. I mean, and, and again, I don't know if this was a just a comment in passing today. I think it maybe could get chalked up that way. But Brian Jean Marie did say, you know, hey, T. Lander could end up getting a few yep. snaps in the field today. So Jack, that that basically goes to your point right there of, hey, you know what, he's he's. He's number three on the deep uh, on the depth chart. Maybe he'll get some playing time, but yeah, there are a lot of guys that they put there. Yeah, I wonder with T. Lander if you know Elijah Herring last year wasn't a guy that he just had played a ton. Normal first, second down, two linebackers on the field, but they had those specific pass rush uh, pass rush packages that he played in. I wonder if there's something like that where there's a specific package where they get T-Lander involved. I don't know if that would necessarily be a pass rush, but that would kind of be uh, the one thing that could be interesting for him. Because other than that, I have a hard time thinking he's going to play a ton, barring just a, a abundance of injuries. Unsurprising to you who's ahead of uh, Jalen Smith? Uh, yeah, unsurprising. Just yeah. going into camp, I probably would have said I was higher on Smith, or at least going on to both of them getting into campus. But T-Lander just physically has looked apart. I've heard good things about how he performed in the scrimmages, so it wasn't a surprise uh, when they released it on Monday. Switching gears a little bit away from the depth chart, what are maybe some of the la- some of the questions that you have unanswered from training camp that you'll be looking forward to coming up this fall? I know one of the things for me, and, I, and I'll start and I guess kind of show what I, what I mean by this question is, one of the things I'm really going to be looking for is Tennessee's ability to get after the quarterback with only four guys. Jack, going back to SEC media days, that was something that you and I heard a lot from the Tennessee players, whether it be Omari Thomas or somebody else, saying that, hey, look, we, we do have our pressure packages, and we know that we want to get after the quarterback with them. Interested to see which one of these Leo players can step up and really give Tennessee a big pass rush there. But we also know that they want to get after the quarterback with just four. That's one of the things that I am very interested in seeing. How good are they going to be at that? How effective are they going to be at that? Obviously, it's a new year, so there's some new players mixed in here. Some of these players are returning as well. Guys like Amari Thomas, guys like Bryson Eason, guys like Dominic Bailey, who are a couple of maybe redshirt sophomores last year who now have another year in the system to kind of grow into that role. I want to see, is that going to be a big aspect of Tennessee's defense? Because, thinking optimistically here, if it is, I think that opens up Tennessee's defense a lot more in the back end. Now, we know that it is difficult to get to the quarterback with only four, but we also know that that is absolutely something that has been worked on this training camp. So for me, that's one of the big question marks I have coming out of training camp is just, again, how effective is Tennessee's pass rush with four going to be? We know that they want it to be good. We'll just have to wait and see how it is on the field. There's plenty, and you know, offensive tackle would probably, and how that works with Joe Milton would probably be a bigger one, but you know, we've 
talked plenty about that. So I'll just say Aaron Carter and how quickly does he become a guy that plays a lot of snaps for Tennessee. Mm. Uh, I just think he has a next-level athleticism uh, and kind of pop in that room that, you know, Keenan Peely, they've talked highly about him. Again, he's kind of a guy that I'm a little, not that I think he's bad, but a little wait and see uh, if he's truly going to be a high-level SEC player and not just kind of an average SEC linebacker. So uh, how quickly Arian Carter looks ready and how quickly uh, he appears to be able to help this team in more than just mop-up duty um, and playing, you know, real snaps in, in big games is something I'll be Really curious to see. I'll take another angle looking at the offense. The running back and receiver position, this kind of ties into the depth chart, but, you know, it wasn't surprised at all to see Wright and Small as an or starter, right, as the starting running back. That yeah. was not a surprise at all. Yeah. But I'm curious to see how much more Jalen Wright plays than Jabari Small. I feel like he'll play more. I just don't know how much more, and if that's going to be something that, you know, becomes more and more as the season goes along or if he's going to play a lot in week one. And then at wide receiver – how much does Dante Thornton play out wide, if at all? Yeah. And if he doesn't, how much yes. does he get more, you know, snaps in the slot than Squirrel White? Who who's kind of the top guy there? So I think that's a very intriguing spot because it feels like Bruin Ramel are your guys outside for the most part. Yeah, hundred percent. I think both those things are are really good questions. Uh, just what the running back rotation looks like as a whole, I think, is going to be really fascinating. Uh, I do think Jalen Wright, even from the jump, we'll see him get a good bit more carries or clearly be the number one guy from a carry standpoint. And then, yeah, the Dante, I mean, we talked about, I think at length last week, the Dante Thornton situation and just what the, the kind of the versatility and creativity that it would be able to give Tennessee's offense to play him out wide with squirrel white is, is super intriguing. I, I ask you guys, cause y'all obviously watched a ton of Tennessee football the last few years. Um, do you recall how much, if at all, Josh Heupel has used four receiver sets? <laughs> no joke. I was just about very to say little, very little. Yeah, right? That's I, I my can't thought. Remember yes. a lot of times. Which does that change? Maybe. I don't know how I, you I can though so. with a weak offensive line because you're going to have to use tight ends yeah. to block. I don't think so. I mean, every time I've brought up is one of my takeaways. You know, this fall camp of I think Tennessee will play four receivers this year meaning Thornton and Squirrel White, they won't just play three. Everyone immediately goes to, well, what's the four-receiver set look like for Josh Heifel? I'm like, I don't think they're going to play four-receiver <laughs> sets. I just think they're going to substitute. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I can remember, like, briefly a, a couple plays they've had four receivers on the field. Um, but I almost want to say, and this is I – I can't back this up with anything, but I almost want to say I've seen it a couple times with Milton, but I hardly ever saw it within it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Because it was late in games. Maybe they were just trying something out. Yeah. That's probably why. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that, that is an interesting thought. Again, I the combination of Tennessee really seemingly never doing it and the personnel staying so steady in Hypo's offense combined with the offensive tackle spots just makes me think that yeah. probably won't happen. Yeah. At least not a ton. Yeah, I would say the same. But, yeah, otherwise, uh, that's that's pretty much, you know, a lot of the thoughts I had coming out of the, uh, the depth chart side of things, coming out of the training camp side of things. I mean, well, hey, we're here on a Tuesday of game week just getting ready for the, the game coming up this Saturday afternoon. Ryan, I want to go back a little bit. You and I recorded a podcast just a couple weeks ago where we took a dive through Tennessee's upcoming season, and we went game by game, went through our predictions. Now, I don't necessarily want to go game by game again, and that's going to take a little bit of time, and we will actually have season predictions coming up on the website uh, Tuesday. Is that correct, Tuesday? Yeah, I think so. So by the time you're listening to this, you can probably head over to RocketTopInsider.com, and you can probably go find those predictions for yourself. But let's expand on that a little bit. Where are you sitting right now? And Jack, I'm coming over to you with the same question in a minute, but where are you sitting right now just in terms of Tennessee regular season projected record? What, what are you kind of thinking? What are you leaning toward 
What's your range, if you will? I'm still sitting. I mean, I guess range would be eight and four to ten and two. Um, I'm still sitting at nine and three, and you know, I've been intrigued to go uh, ten and two, and I think there's things that make me think that could happen. Um, and there's things that I I did leave you know fall camp with more positive about this team. I feel better about Joe Milton at least from where his floor's at. Uh, I feel better about the linebacker room. I feel really good about the running back room. But the the big questions being the secondary and the offensive line, I still have just as many questions about. And again, I've said it earlier, I'm I'm pretty pessimistic about what I think the secondary is going to be. So with those two big questions, uh, you know, I'm sticking by my nine and three. Uh, I do think Alabama and Georgia both are winnable games. Uh, I'm not going to pick them to win either of them, at least before the season. I think they'll be, you know, touchdown to 10, 11 point underdogs in both those games. So I think they'll lose both of them. And then, you know, I don't really know which one, uh, but I think they'll they'll drop another on the schedule. All right. Um, I've gone back and forth a lot. I feel like when I look at Tennessee, they're a 9-3 and three team, right? But I look at the yep. schedule, and it's just so gettable to me. And the only team outside of Bama and Georgia that I think could be better than Tennessee by season's end is Texas A&M. But Ryan's talked about it a lot, and it's a very good point. Heupel's 7-1 and one coming off a of bye. Tennessee's coming off a of bye that week, of course, against A&M. It's in Neyland. Texas A&M has Bama the week before. It just all sets up for Tennessee to win that game, and I think they're going to. Tennessee's only lost to Kentucky three times since 1985. That game's going to be a track meet, and Tennessee's going to win. They've hung 60-plus on Missouri back-to-back years. I don't care. It's going to be cold in Columbia in November. Don't care. Tennessee's winning that game, and then they just will not lose to South Carolina, I, I don't think, in Neyland, after, considering what happened last year. So with all that being said, I'm going 10-2, and two, and I don't know if Tennessee's like a 10-2 and two team, your stereotypical 10-2 and two team, but... With the schedule being the way it is and the way it lays out, I'm going ten and two. I'd be more apt to go nine and three than eleven and one, but I'm still going ten and two. And I do think Alabama's winnable. Don't think Georgia's winnable. Man, man, oh man, oh man, oh man! I think I've Tennessee's on this quite a bit. Go ahead. They're the SEC's version of Penn State. Is basically my. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, not beating Ohio State or Michigan, but you should beat everybody else. Yeah, I, I think as Rick is, thinks about things, I'll, I'll give him a, a, a little bit more time to to think. And, and yeah, no, I definitely see that. Like, there is the path to 10-2. And, and, and it circles around the A&M game, honestly, because that's the hardest game. Yes, Total I agree. Wild card game. Besides uh, Georgia and Alabama. And yeah, I, I've said uh, over on Chase Thomas' podcast, friend of the program, that that's yeah, my stone-cold staple. Tennessee's winning that game. There's just so many things that point favorably towards them there. Um, and you're right. Like, you can... Jack just did it really well. Like, you can go game by game and make a really compelling case for why Tennessee should win all those games. He didn't mention the Florida game, which I still think yeah, is Florida, completely losable. No, Florida's a four-win team this year. Max. Four-win max. Four-win max. They will not. I'll I, give you one. They're winning, they're winning, they're winning Thursday Billy? night at Utah. They're winning Thursday no night No way. Utah. They <laughs> are. Unless Cam Rising Cam, doesn't Cam play. not playing. That's you my, sh- oh, you got an insider? I don't have, I don't have an insider, but Who's I don't think he's playing. your insider in Salt Lake? Come on now. <laughs> share, with, share with the boys. Kyle Whittingham, me and Kyle, longtime friends. No, I just don't think he's going to play. And actually, I'll tell you who has changed my tune a little bit on Florida. It's your very own Greg McElroy. Why? Because it's Graham Mertz take? Yes. Which is, I'll admit, absurd. Graham Mertz is not good. I don't think in this in the players that he mentioned with, like backing it, like Michael Penix, and then Hooker, Bo Nix, all of that, I agree, is like too much. He's not, he's not going to be any of those guys. But it did give me like a, a 
a fresh point of view of like Wisconsin Graham Mertz doesn't have to be Florida Graham Mertz. And there is a middle ground of him being, you know, a French Heisman candidate like Hendon Hooker. Well, Hendon Hooker was a Heisman candidate, French yeah. candidate like Bo Nix and Michael Penix and just being really bad. Um, so they're getting a, and there's for a good reason. Florida's getting absolutely no love. Um, as Jack says, they're going to win four games. But, uh, again, I think that they could very well be decent, very well be like a seven. Like how you said Tennessee's a nine-win team, I could see Florida very well being, from a talent standpoint, a seven-win team. And, you know, that type of discretion or discrepancy, I guess would be the right word, for a game that's in Gainesville at 7 p.m. primetime game is just, very much in the range that Tennessee could lose. I just can't do it. I just – I'm so down on Florida. I, I mean, they have two layups on their schedule, Mint East and Charlotte. Outside of that, I mean, they yeah, they'll beat Vandy, but, like, they could only win three games. Like, sure. I'm serious. Sure. Yeah, the schedule is really hard Which, when you got Utah and Florida State. I just don't see them beating Tennessee. I don't think they compare. Which, by the way, that, that September 16th Florida-Tennessee game in uh, Gainesville will be a blue out in the stadium as that. Florida goes all blue uniforms with the orange helmets. So I don't know what Tennessee's going to go there, but they're doing a blue out on their side. They're taking the orange out of the building for the most part, if you will. Guys, I, I feel really confident in 9-3, and three, mm. but I don't feel confident where the third loss comes from. Exactly, and, yeah. and, Jack, yeah. I, man, I, I think you took a lot of the words out of my mouth when you said, you know, you're like, on paper, Tennessee just looks like a 9-3 and three team. And I go, bingo, I agree. And then yeah. you go, find me the three losses. And I say, well, I'll give you two, but I don't know if I can give you the third. And that's just one of those things where I, I don't, Again, I don't really feel confident where that third loss is going to come from. I, I'm not saying that, you know, Alabama and Georgia are automatic losses. Although I'm, I'm, Georgia to me is a, is a little bit in a different conversation than Alabama there. Although I don't know, but uh, there's just I leave that third spot open just because of the inevitable variables that come through a through a football season. And so I don't know if that's going to be at Kentucky. I don't know what that game's going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be at Florida. I mean, that was only a five point win last year that Tennessee had. Yeah, they also Anthony, had a top five. But, granted, you're right. And Anthony Richardson went nuts that game. And Tennessee's defense allowed him to go nuts that game, right, for 400 yards. They they couldn't stop him doing anything. And he's not a, he's not a great pass or anything. So, I don't know where that loss is going to come from. But I do feel confident in the 9-3 range. Now, to me, man, this season boils down to what you can do against these mid-tier teams, right? Because if you can go into this Georgia game with only one loss on the schedule, and to me, that, that most likely comes from Alabama. If you can go into this Georgia game with only one loss on the schedule, let's just imagine here, for hypothetical sake, that Georgia is undefeated heading into that game. Well, there you go. The East is now on the line in Neyland Stadium mm-hmm. come, what is that, November 18th in the penultimate game of the regular season. To me, these mid-tier teams are, are going to mean the world for Tennessee's season. Yeah. And not that, not that that's just not... A normal football season, right? You, you've got to beat the ones that you're supposed to. But you guys are right. I mean, you look at Florida. You look at South Carolina. You look at Alabama. Uh, excuse me. You look at Texas and You look at Kentucky. Those are absolutely the games where I think that you got to look at for Tennessee and just say, man, if you want to accomplish the goals that you have set for yourself, if you want to win the East, if you want to be in a position to win the East by the time that Georgia game rolls around, those are the games that have to be cleared off the schedule with a W. You look back to last year. Those toss-up games a little bit. LSU, that was a victory. Pittsburgh, that was a victory. Florida, that was a victory. Kentucky, that was a victory. South Carolina was the only that wasn't, but that was late in the season, right? We're, we're kind of talking about the lead-up to the end of the season. So I, I just think that if you're Tennessee, man, everything kind of boils down to what you look like for that Georgia game. If you can go into it with only one loss, you are absolutely in a position to achieve what you set out to, to achieve. 
But in order to do that, you have to handle business against these mid-tier teams, kind of the teams around you in the standings, maybe obviously a little bit below you in the standings. Right. I feel like those are the cre- those are the critical ones for me. You can lose to Alabama yeah. and still have your your goals in sight. You can yeah. lose to Georgia and still be in somewhat of what you were do, looking for that season. Two. Do what you did last year, exactly. play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You can play in a New Year's Six Bowl like that. You cannot afford a loss to Kentucky. You cannot afford a loss to South Carolina. Granted, I'm saying that I think that is going to happen, but to me, that's what this season's schedule boils down to when I look at it from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, outside of Georgia and Bama, A&M's the only team I can see by like when the season is over where like A&M was a better team than Tennessee this year. But as Ryan has said, you know, greatly that the setting just for that game points to Tennessee. So I'm picking them in that game. That's the only one maybe I struggle with a little bit. Don't struggle with Kentucky or Florida, South Carolina. So I honestly put Florida more in the UTSA category than I do Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, I'd put UTSA in the category that that's, I don't think that Tennessee will lose, but I mean, it is losable. A game to win. Yep. UTSA is going to spend a lot of the season in the top 25, in my opinion. No, they're the... Them and Tulane are the best G5 teams. Yeah, yeah, they're they're ranked above even some of the SEC teams that are on Tennessee's schedule that we're talking about right now, or at yeah. least from the receiving votes. Yeah. Uh, receiving votes, receiving votes factor. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's just a lot of games that, to me, are losable, and Tennessee has some glaring questions at spots you don't want to have questions at that make it, not impossible, but kind of hard for me to see them just running the table in all those games. So if y'all had to bet, who's the third loss? I would say what I've been saying, Kentucky. Kentucky? That, to me, is the most logical. Yeah, I I agree, but I just, it's Kentucky. Yeah, you know? no, I get it. I hate myself. <laughs> I hate my, again, I hate myself for saying it. But I do think Kentucky's going to be improved, and that game being on the road in a, in a tough spot, it's really the inverse. Tennessee's and, an A&M shoes. I, yeah, I really think that game could go similarly to the 2021 game. And Kentucky, you could argue, should have won that game. Yeah, so should, would have won that game if Will Levis didn't throw right. one right to Alante Taylor right. streaking to the end zone. That's right. Yep. Uh, to me, the third loss comes. It comes on the road. So okay. that would that would boil things down to Florida and Kentucky, Kentucky. or Missouri. And, and Missouri, that's true. Although I don't see. I mean, I don't think they're losing to Missouri. But if you're but saying Josh Heupel hates Missouri, it is a road game. Um, and, and to me, you know, Jack, I think so much of what you're saying about Florida is fair and it's on track and everything like that. But you know, I haven't seen Joe Milton. Well, I guess we did see Joe Milton play in Nashville last year, and that was a true road game in the rain. But so it's going to be a different environment. I'm just interested to see what he can do because, as we've been saying, right? Let's like we can talk about what Florida looks like. We can talk about what Tennessee looks like. But at the end of the day, Tennessee's success so much of it is going to be dictated on what Joe Milton can do yeah. with the football in his hands. Yeah, orchestrating this offense. If he, if we see in the first two weeks that maybe things are struggling a little bit, then that Florida game does present a little bit more of a challenge. Regardless, maybe maybe not fully regardless, but for lack of a better word, regardless of what Florida's doing, right, that that game to me is, hey, now how, how can Joe Milton go perform first true road game of the season in the swamp, going to be a hostile environment, going to be under the lights, and the pressure's going to be on, right? He's even going back to his home state to play that game. So to me, I'm not I'm not going to come out here and outright say that the Florida Florida's game is going to be a loss. I don't know which one that loss is going to be, but to me, the two most Rick's likely answers... Rick's a coward answers, and, won't, and, won't, and won't say it like oh me. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah. Shout no, I'm out! Just, I'm so undecided. I'm so yeah, no, undecided. I'm to pick ten and two. No, That's what you do. That, that is either. what you do. If you I can't, can't if you can't either. find the game to say they're going to lose, you dig your heels in on Florida being terrible. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, I think 
it is an important or point that Rick brings up with Joe Milton. Is if you told me right now Joe Milton could just would be consi- not a stud, not a Heisman winner, but he would just be ten and two consistent. Are you doing it now? Yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. No. Yes. To your point. Yes. Then I would say ten and two. I just it goes back to the comparison I've made a handful of times now. I could just see it being like a Bo Wallace s season where he just has a game or two where he just completely lays an egg and. Tennessee, depending on that game, could maybe still win it. You know, if it's South Carolina, for instance, I think he could lay an egg and maybe still win it. But Kentucky, I have a Florida, I have a hard time thinking he's just going to lay a complete egg and Tennessee is going to be able to win. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, the nine and three take is fair. I'm not sure. Bad. Sure, sure. I'm closer there than eleven and one. Like sure, I said, sure. Yeah. I am closer to eleven and one than eight and four, though. You sure. su- you summed it up really well by saying this is a nine and three team, but when you look at the schedule, it's just very easy to talk yourself into ten and two. Yep. Yes, I think that's an that's an excellent point right there, guys. We're going to Smashville this weekend. <laughs> Smashville, going to Nashville this weekend. Uh, what is what time is this game? Twelve o'clock noon Eastern time, eleven o'clock a.m. Central time. Tennessee versus Virginia, first game of the season in Nissan Stadium. It's exciting to get things rolling, uh, like like Ryan alluded to earlier. I don't I don't necessarily think this is going to present too much of a looming challenge for Tennessee. I think this is going to be a game where Tennessee can establish a lead early, can establish a victory early, and then be able to get some rotational pieces in there as well in front of the fans in, in the mid-state there. But, man, things are going to kick off this Saturday, September 2nd, in Nissan Stadium against Virginia. Yep. Um, ready for it. Yeah, that, that brand-new turf field. I'm curious to see if they have stuff painted on it. Because the Titans played a preseason game on Friday. No midfield Nothing. logo, no end zone mm. stuff, just lines. Which I guess would make sense if they are going to paint something on sure. the field for yeah, this you game. You wouldn't want to put something You down. wouldn't want to put the Titans stuff just to take it off and put oh. it back on. But I'll be curious to see what uh, what the field design looks like. So I remember two years ago, um, Tennessee beat Bowling Green 38-6. But you knew walking away from that game that Tennessee may be in a little bit of trouble with Joe Milton. Because it just yeah. wasn't a great game sure. by Tennessee at all. So what's the score for you guys? What's the Virginia score to where you walk away like, ugh? Well, I, I think that to me... And I know it's not all about score. It's sure, about sure, what sure. happens on the field, but just... Yeah, you know. and that's what I was kind of going to say was just, you know, to me, I, I, you know, the score could happen where, you know, the offense doesn't look as effective or as well-tuned as it does, but Tennessee has a couple of just major breakout plays where they score a bunch of points in that way. So to me, I... I you know, I, I do look at I do look at Tennessee having a having a substantial lead. What was the line like? Twenty eight points. Twenty eight points. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that. Tennessee is going to cover that, so I'm going to go with them above twenty eight points victory. But to me, I, I want to look at the the individual details, the the individual statistics a little bit more. And I know that's a cop out from your answer. This no, is no, it's really fair. my second cop out answer in a row <laughs> uh, here on game week. But you know, I'm going to do that unashamed. Um, mine but, is mine is the line. Honestly, I okay. feel like if they don't cover, like I'm going to be yeah. really yeah. That's I mean, got, this game should be. I I could see it being fifty six to ten, like that bad. Yeah, and I I I wouldn't disagree with that. Again, I think it kind of comes from how do you not cover? Do you not cover? Yeah. Do you not cover yeah. up fourteen points in the fourth quarter? Yeah, like USC early not fourth quarter is different than yeah. Do you or not do cover you because of the offense or because of the defense? I would also ask. Or do you, do you not cover? You're up 21 points at halftime. There's not a second in the game that it feels I guess ever in doubt. That's, you just play a little bit sloppy in the second half. The backups who play don't play great, and then you win by 26. Like I mean, that's yes, that's obviously fair. Yeah, I mean, I would of course change my tune, but yeah, I think Rick's more. I like what you said. If 
how do they not cover offensively or defensively? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. And if I had to pick, if it was, it's a thirty-five to seven game, I you know, if I honestly had to pick, I'd, I'd pick offensively because I just don't think Virginia is going to be able to move the ball that well. Yeah, Virginia is agreed. Agreed. While Virginia's yeah. not great, they're I think competent defensively, and I don't think they're going to be very competent offensively. Right. Exactly. So, so I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 Tennessee doesn't score forty, is what I'm saying. You know, gentlemen. Any other final thoughts here on the 2023 Tennessee football season coming up ahead? Again, we know that things are going to get rolling on Saturday, Saturday morning local time, afternoon-ish, right there at noon here Eastern time. And then the train has officially left the tracks. Any other kind of final thoughts on the road to get there? No, not really. Excited uh, excited to see football on the field. Ah, yes. And to be able to talk about uh, something we're actually watching and not just yeah. speculation. Yeah, same there. I I mm-hmm. I agree. I know I know so much of our job is talking season and and we are the we're the orchestrators of the talking season in a lot of ways, but I, I personally am done talking about <laughs> what might happen or what could happen. I'm ready to see what is going to happen or what does happen on the field coming up this Saturday. Man, as always, We will have you locked and loaded from Nashville, from Nissan Stadium on Saturday on all different social media platforms and on the website. We will have you top-to-bottom coverage from the whole game, and we will have continued and expanded coverage through Sunday as well as that uh, that extended weekend, I think, goes through. uh, And as we continue to break down the game that is Tennessee-Virginia in the season opener, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. But I think we're all expecting a, I guess we just talked about it here, you know. They you all think win. Tennessee uh, covers the 28? Yep. Okay. Ryan, think they cover the 28? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Jax talked me into it. I would have said, <laughs> I would have kind of shrugged my shoulders, but Jack's confidence. He's a Tony smart Tony Musket ain't moving the ball. There you go. There you Hi, go. Hi, Tony. <laughs> Man, all of the pre, uh, I guess just pregame coverage that, that happens throughout the week in the lead up to the game, you can go and find over on RockyTopInsider.com. We will do our best to keep you updated live and all the time over there. Again, RockyTopInsider.com. Otherwise, make sure you're following RockyTopInsider on each one of the different social media platforms. That would be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, I guess X, right? X. 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 Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm not going to mention threads anymore. I know we've done that a couple times. I'm, I'm giving up on it myself. So we've, <laughs> we're back to our five platforms. At least platforms. you can admit it, Rick. We're back to our five platforms. Five is a good number to do. Uh, you can go and find us on any of those. If you want to follow Jack Foster on, uh, on Twitter, on X, you can go and do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to go follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to go follow myself, that's at Rick underscore Butler. But, of course, at Rocky Top Insider on each. Jack, real quick, uh, can you give another shout-out to the wonderful building that we're in right now, the wonderful studio that we're in right now. Yeah, down here in the basement of Andy Holt Tower. Shout out Benny Smith for letting us use your podcast room, even though you weren't here today and I didn't ask you. Ah, <laughs> I nice. know you would have said yes, so very I appreciate nice. that. And, man, what a what a great place. When campus is so – I mean, you guys have experienced it just as much as anybody. The craziness that is going on on campus right now. No yeah. parking spots. I chaos. Mean, <laughs> yeah, absolute chaos. chaos. To come down here in this room and just get some work done, it is – so peaceful. Got the fridge right next to me with some yeah. water. Got everything you need down here, man. So it's awesome. There you go. 90.3 The Rock. Go ahead and check them out. They are wonderful. They are Tennessee's affiliation. They are uh, just a, a great place. They've gotten a lot of people good starts, including uh, including myself. Yeah, and, and uh, Friday night show. I'm the host, so always tune in to Friday Rock Solid night Sports show. Friday check night. Jack Foster, our guy here on Rock Solid Sports. A fantastic time had by all, especially you the listener. Hey, thanks so much for listening to us today. We will be back on Saturday afternoon 
we'll be doing a post-game, a reaction podcast, uh, just about Tennessee's game against Virginia. We'll be talking about the good, the bad. Hopefully there's not too much ugly for Tennessee. We'll, obviously, we'll see with it being game one as they start to get the jitters out and the details down. But we will have all sorts of reaction coming out to you. So make sure you're subscribed right here to the Rocky Top Insider, uh, Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, you can find this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite platforms. But guys... Other than that, let's go ahead and get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. For Ryan, for Jack, I'm Rick. We'll see you back for the next one after Tennessee's season opening game against Virginia this Saturday.